Welcome to CIT Today, a podcast that dives into vital mental health topics impacting our community. Join us as members of the Anne Arundel County Police Department's Crisis Intervention Team discuss the crisis response system of care. This system provides community members experiencing a crisis with supportive assistance and connections to resources. Crisis Response offers support and assistance to those with substance abuse and mental health challenges. One goal is to focus on redirecting people from the criminal justice system to the behavioral health care system. Come with us as we explore these challenging situations facing families and communities everywhere. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Steve Thomas. I'm joined alongside my co-host, Jen Corbin. Today on the show, we're excited to have Katie Wargo. Katie is Coalition Coordinator at Northern Lights Against Substance Misuse and Western Arundel Substance Prevention, also known as WASP. Her twin brothers, Ryan and Matthew, both died from opioid overdoses, and she is doing everything she can to prevent another family of going through the horror her family endured, losing a loved one to an overdose. Katie, thank you for joining us, and welcome to CIT today. Thank you for having me. So, Katie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Katie, and like you said, I'm the coalition coordinators for two of the four prevention coalitions here in Anne Arundel County that partner with the Department of Health. Um, and prevention means anything from substance misuse disorder, mental health disorder, and things like that, alcohol misuse. Um, and I'm also a mother of four. And uh, I, yeah, I mean, I live, I'm a homegrown from this area. I grew up in Anne Arundel County in Pasadena. So um, this area is just really important to me. And we have been through a lot in the last eight years. And with everything that we learned through our personal experiences, it really kind of paved the way for me to make some life changes so that I could help other families um, hopefully never have to go through what we've been through because it's been it's been a wild ride. I was talking with Emily about that earlier today. <laughs> yeah, can you can you share a little bit about what that ride has looked like for you and your family and kind of how it's brought you to where you are today? Sure. Um, so my brothers are twins, Ryan and Matt. Uh, one passed away about eight years ago now, and the other one, Matt, passed away about five years ago. And then my father passed away coming up on two years. His wasn't a heroin overdose or an opioid overdose, but it was directly related to alcohol misuse. So there was about a 10-year span where our family didn't really understand substance misuse disorder and what that looked like. Matt, he's, he's had mental health issues for a really long time stemming all the way back to middle school. And even though mental health disorder runs really deep in my family and we knew what it looked like, my brother was so afraid that he was going to be like my grandmother or my aunts that he hid it. He got really good at masking it. So all through middle school, even though he was going through some pretty serious things, he was just trying to hide it with the misuse of alcohol. We found out... Actually, on his 25th birthday, we were we had just went to rehab. It was his first time there. He was at the Hope House, and it was a family visiting day. We were so excited to see him, and he had requested that my mom and I sit down with him and his counselor or his therapist that day, and he really wanted us to understand where he was coming from and what he had been through because at that time, even though 
we had been through some of the bigger horrors than, and things that play a, along with parts of substance misuse disorder when you're that deep in, we still didn't fully understand it. And he told us everything. He told us about how he had been masking it with alcohol. And that was the first time since he was 13 years old that he had been sober on his birthday. And that really hit hard for my mom and I because where were we? We had no clue. And and at that time, my, my brother Ryan, his twin, wasn't... He had been messing around and partying um, and using party drugs from time to time, but he wasn't that deep in it. So Matt was really the one that we were we were focusing on at that time. And so him sitting down and explaining some of the mental health struggles that he had been going through and how he was self-medicating and how he was afraid to show that he was anything like this stereotypical mental health patient like my grandmother or my aunt were who were in and out of, you know, facilities all the time and, and medications weren't working. Like it's like he didn't want to give in and that's why he was self-medicating and it really opened my mom and I's eyes. And at that point, we took it upon ourselves to really educate ourselves. Um, my mom took Hope House at that time, had a phenomenal program for families. Every Monday um, for about six weeks, they would meet there, have a spaghetti dinner. You were with other families that had um, someone that they loved in treatment. And they were explaining, like, what is substance misuse disorder and what does this look like for a lot of our patients? So... Um, And then, of course, we did our own personal research. My mom at that time got involved with Northern Lights. At that time, I believe we were the only coalition here in the county that was partnering with the Department of Health. And um, Angel Trainer, who is now running ASAP, which is one of my sister coalitions on the other side of the county, she was still part of Northern Lights at that point. Uh, we had Sandy Smallnecky and Heather Eshelman, and they're the ones that really got this, this coalition up and running. But she found this coalition... And um, she really started, you know, talking with other families, so she felt a little less alone. Because at that time, my mom was still, I'm not going to lie, ashamed. We were afraid to talk to other people. I was thinking about that. The first thing you said (laughs) when we talked about mental health is I could see you heading towards the stigma piece. And we were, yeah. And where you were back then with that stigma piece. Yeah, and it was. It was, you didn't want to admit that, substance misuse disorder and at that point we weren't even calling it that that we had addicts living in our house Mm -hmm. that my brothers could ever steal from us or hurt us in any way whether they wanted to that wasn't them who was doing that but we didn't want to talk we didn't even my mom wouldn't even talk to her sister that's her best friend in the whole wide world and so my mom and I only had each other to lean on and even my dad who at that point he was absolutely an alcoholic he couldn't see it for himself he was judging my brothers we were judging well at that time my brother and my brother Ryan who wasn't in active addiction and was still using drugs recreationally was judging my brother because it was it was stigmatized and you just it doesn't matter that it's one in every three households because you still couldn't admit that you were one of those three can I think for the listeners to understand, you guys were the all-American family. Yeah. Can you go in a little bit more detail about Matthew's background and how sure. successful he was in school that the average person would never yeah, recognize? And I think that that was one of the biggest shocks when it came out that our family had was going through this because we were considered the all-American family. Everyone in Pasadena knows who we are or knew who we were. 
Our house was the house that everybody came over to. We were that, what, stereotypical white picket fence. Um, Matt was a genius. He was so unbelievably smart, charismatic. He was everyone's best friend. He was the most gifted musician. I mean, I could... (laughs) I could close my eyes and listen to him play the guitar piano and sit there for hours and a tear would go down your face because it was beautiful. And then Ryan, he was first team All-American for cross-country indoor track and track and field in college. He has records at Northeast High School that people still haven't beaten today. Um, He wasn't as smart as Matt. We always used to joke because they were twins. One was tall, one was Mm -hmm. short. One was... Super, super smart. The other one, we teased him that he was dumb. He wasn't dumb. He just wasn't Matt. <laughs> um, one was handsome, and one was pretty, because Matt was more had a more like beautiful face, where Ryan was just like that tall, dark, and handsome, chiseled out type of, of face. But they were both beautiful and handsome in their own right. And one was really hairy. <laughs> Matt, <laughs> Matt was covered in hair. Ryan had none at all. So it was just funny to see like the polar opposites between the two of them. But then, you know, mixed together, they both, they they were ultimately the same person, and they were both just really good kids. They got good grades. Um, all three of us did. We we all did really well with sports. Even though sports wasn't Matt's number one thing, what he did play, he was good at. So we were involved in just about everything um, that we could get our hands on. My mom kept us all busy all the time. So now I will admit that in high school, we were the house that everybody came to as friends. But then as we got a little bit older, my parents did allow us to drink alcohol at the house. They felt at that time that it was better for them to watch over us. I don't know that my mom fully agreed with it, um, but she went along with it because my dad really pushed for it. So there was some underage drinking at our house and some pretty big parties quite often. Um, But you would have never thought that we would have ever gone to where we are today. And I feel like even when with my brother's passings, everybody still showed up to those funerals. I mean, there was a line out the door and wrapped around the building because you would have never guessed that it was Ryan and Matt. Like they still, I think it was hard for our community to still wrap their heads around that they were that stigmatized, stereotypical drug addict because they, if you saw them or you spent time with them, you still couldn't, it wasn't that person on homeless on the street in Baltimore City. It was our friend and they could still hold a good conversation. You still wanted to be around them. You wanted to spend time with them. They never lost that piece of them, which was really nice. Um, And it was nice to see the community really backing them up. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was a hard thing. Even it was hard for the community to understand that we were going through this, but I think it was even hard for our own family to, at that beginning for those first couple of years to wrap our own heads around it because it's just the unimaginable. Um, but that's what that's the thing with the stigma related to substance misuse disorder, right? It's not usually who you think. And years ago, as my mom and I really started getting involved, especially my mom, because she really paved the way for me, I feel like. But as we were talking to those in recovery and hearing their stories and what they have all been through as well, it's the same story. They were those overachievers. They were those good kids. It's not, it's not what people think from years and years and years ago. It is that all-American household, white picket fence, average person that is going down this path of destruction because of what's out in our community right now. You know, it's amazing to listen to you talk. <laughs> Because I can remember meeting your mom for the first time 
as we did the panel discussions way back when with yeah. Not My Child, hearing the stories on stage of your brothers over time, and then to hear you now and to continue to share the story in different ways. I think what hit me most just listening to you tell the story, because I, I, I know it, right? Yeah. I've heard it enough. <laughs> you said something that was really impactful to me, and that was we allowed people to drink at our home. We thought it was okay back then. Guess what? It's still happening today. And it is. It's, it, I hear you say that, but things haven't changed. Parents think it's okay if they let, yeah. let underage people drink, as long as they're in their home and they have control. Mm-hmm. And that's one piece of safety, but the other piece is, right, we know the mind's not developed to 25. So right. it's interesting to hear you talk this way now and know that what you're trying to do is educate the community and yeah. take your story and share it through Northern Lights and through WASP and through all the coalitions that happen. Yeah. I think that's just a really powerful piece. And I it was interesting you say, well, back then, well, we know things haven't changed, yeah. right? Do and you hear haven't. that? Um, no. And, and trust me, I mean, as with the work that we do within the coalitions, we do get out in the community. We do talk to different community members in every zip code because I want to know, we want to know, how do they perceive drugs and alcohol among their community? And we do various age groups from our youth all the way through an 85-year-old person, right? And it hasn't changed. The information as we're talking to our youth and our, our young adults, that information is still the same. There are still house parties. Parents do believe that it is okay because that's the safer option. And I, I truly believe that my dad really felt that that was the better option. Let me take the keys. Let me give them food. Let me make sure that it's only beer. But the reality is we were 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. We had no reason to be drinking like that. There, was, there wasn't a reason for it. And I feel, and this is me being as honest as I can, if not for the destructive paths that my brothers went down and what I watched and me being a few years younger, I know that deep down I am an addict. I know that that runs through my body. I know that I am genetically predisposed. I know that my children are genetically predisposed. I know what not to do with my own kids as they grow up. I know what to watch out for now, especially as two of my kids, and I say two of my kids, one of the ch- my kids isn't even my kid. He's my brother's son that I raise. But they're in middle school, and I, I know that their first beer, what, that's, what that could look like for them, that they could, it could make that bad test go away. It could make that breakup feel a lot better. So, yeah, I mean, it's, we're, not, we're not ready to be drinking or doing drugs at that age. We are not fully developed. And there's a reason that there's an age limit for alcohol and tobacco use and things like that because it's just – it shouldn't be. Um, and coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? Right. Yeah. And that, that's true. And, you know, I sit here and listen to you. And as tonight, I'm supposed to go speak at one of the schools to a group of athletes. And it's that same thing. I love that. It's, I know. Um, we want to keep pushing that message out. Because again, I listen to you say, you think, you know, your brothers thought they were invincible and they think they could yep. power through that. And we go and we talk to young people about this all the time, but they only half hear us. Right. Um, what, are you seeing that when you're out? I mean, you're out at all the schools. You're doing a lot of communication. Are, do you think it's getting through? Okay. So um, I am out in all the schools, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug myself for a second Go here. for it. That's, what, that's <laughs> all right. That is so, all right. <laughs> we have a program um, that I worked with a few different people to develop, and it's called Sound of Silence. And 
it's a conversation about mental health, and we got this concept based off the best practices and the the panel conversation piece from the Not My Child program because it was proven that if you sit down and have a real-life conversation with professionals um, and give that information out, you put a face, it's going to help to break that stigma. It's going to help to open that conversation and teach you how to have that conversation and hopefully, again, destigmatize what is, and it's, this is more about mental health than substance misuse disorder specific. However, that is what we want because it's co-occurring conditions. Most of them are related in some way. And what an addict doesn't realize is a lot of times they're self-medicating in some way, shape, or form. So if we can speak to the young people at an earlier age, talk about those difficult topics, make them feel that their issues are just as important as us not being able to pay our mortgage this month. Going through a high school breakup, um, getting a bad grade on an exam, not making that sports team, um, not feeling like you're being included in a certain friend group, even though those are your friends, but hey, they're mad at you for the day. That is no different than real life things that us as adults are going through, and they need to feel validated. And I do feel that they're hearing us. Um, I do feel that we're making a lot of headway. We started at Northeast High School. Mr. Williams was an amazing, amazing um, pilot booster for our program, and he's kind of let me go in and work with his his school to tweak things as we go along, which has been fantastic. He's given me so many opportunities, and I couldn't be more grateful. But at this point, working with him, him promoting us through the different principals, and also partnering and working with Ryan Volglin at Student Services for Anne Arundel County um, Board of Education, we have really been able to get in so many schools, and it's just continuing. Our goal is to be doing this at every school every year, just as like a continuous assembly. But I, I need to say that I did one at Brooklyn Park Middle School back, it was my first one of the school year, and it was with the eighth graders, and they were a little riled up, mm -hmm. and actually Jen was with me that day, and as she's talking to them, I was trying to get their attention, I threw candy at them, it just made it worse, it was, you know, but I went back there, that was in September, I went back in early November to speak with the kids um, on a smaller scale for my needs assessment to ask them for their community how do they perceive drugs and alcohol. And one of the questions was, what does your school do for you surrounding drugs, alcohol, substance misuse disorder, mental health disorder? And all the kids' hands shot up. And they said, they bring in this one assembly where this girl comes and talks to us, and they got all these people up there, and they talk to us about drugs and alcohol and mental health and all these things. And I just started laughing, and I said, do you know who that person was? And they're like, oh, my gosh, it was you. <laughs> so even though they were a little rowdy that day, and I wasn't sure how much they were taking in, because at the end they wanted to talk to our keynote speaker, and they were coming up to the stage to like talk about one-on-one -on -one conversations. But hearing that kind of feedback because they weren't the kids that came up to the stage at the end to talk to us. So to know that regardless, it was still there. It still, it resonated with them. They took in a piece of information that was vital and important. So that, I mean, that made me feel really good. Plus, with our particular panel, I try to put a peer of their age, whether it's middle school or high school, on our panel so that they, because it peer-to-peer -peer connection, which is why our our Anne Arundel County has peer support, right? It makes a, a big difference hearing not just from an adult, don't do drugs. <laughs> right. But it, it, it's, or, you know, talk about your mental health. Talk about if you have depression. But hearing it from a, a, a child or somebody closer to their age to say, hey, I've been through this too and I understand, 
it's going to go a, a long way. And as you say that, it took me back to when we were at Lindale. Yeah, and that was how a good one. Brutally honest, the children were yeah. with what they're going through, mm-hmm. not just at school, but in their home lives yep. and in their community. Yeah, and Lindale Middle School, that was that was such a great session. And even the parent session, there were so many parents that came out as a follow up. Because when we go from school to school, not only do we want to talk to these kids, but we want to do a follow-up for the parents. We want to give the parents that information that we talked with the students about. And I feel like at Lindale, those students during the day were super engaged. Um, they, they all raised their hand. They were all asking questions. They were, they were totally in it with us from the very beginning to the very end. And our keynote speaker did such a phenomenal job to bring them in and the way that he shared his personal story was a little bit unconventional. He kind of told it a little backwards and then hit him with the person I'm talking about is my son. And the kids were like, Oh oh my gosh, like I never would have thought because his son was suicidal. And, um, and if it wasn't for his son's friends, cause he had no idea his son's friends showed up at his house and talked to him and said, this is what your son is going through. He needs our help because he's saying goodbye to us. And to also make them feel like they can be heroes too. You know, you can help save your friend. You can talk to a trusted adult. It doesn't matter what that looks like for you because that trusted adult is going to get that information to the right person. And those kids from that moment on, I feel like they were so unbelievably engaged and they were sharing stories of their home life and what they were going through. I stayed after for about an hour and a half and individually talked to probably six kids that wanted to stay after and talk to us. Um, I know that there was a student there that um, Lieutenant Thomas has had really had an active role in some of the things that he had been through and was able to really help him through our session because you could tell that everything we were talking about, he didn't know how to respond, but he was responding in a little bit different of a way. But Lieutenant Thomas was able to really like make him like connect with us a little bit more. I think it helped because when he raised his hand and talked about his situation mm-hmm. and I could tell him I was there. Yeah. And it was years ago. But when I was there, I was there. Um, we helped with your your family. It, it definitely gave a connection. It did. It did. And you could see him at that point kind of like, okay, I can share a little bit more and I can be open and honest, which was great. And he actually did stay after a little bit. Um, my new coordinator for our program sat there with them and they, they were playing like connect blocks and she was just having just conversation because that's, that's what these kids need. They need an ear. They just need some kind of support system. What, again, whatever that looks like. So, and then these kids must have gone home and told their parents about what they experienced in school because we had a great show back that evening and there were even they even brought their kids back with them um one of the parents because we haven't been to north county high school yet but their older son went there so they brought him so he could listen to the conversation and he got up there and was like talking with us i mean i thought he was going to sit on our panel with us and i was totally (laughs) fine with that um because he was interested and he wanted to be part of it he wanted to be part of that conversation and that's that's what's important yeah, and I think one of the interesting things I learned from this is we go in the perspective of kind of counseling the kids. Yeah. I end up a lot of times afterwards staying to talk about their family members. Yeah. It's amazing. It's not just about telling them what not to do, but them saying, 
I need help because this is what I'm seeing. Right. And so I, I just think it hits them in so many directions. And that's why I never get worked up when we're in these schools and <laughs> kids act out. They act out because they're uncomfortable. Right. Because something hits a nerve. Yeah. Right. And I enjoyed the candy throw because I think it got them a little looser that day. I actually had fun with that, though. I think the teachers were kind of like, what are these what people, they people doing? doing? Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, that's the whole point. You're mm-hmm. educating from all different directions. And it's because you get in there and you say, I've been there. Right. Like for me, it really is what I love about you leading is you bring someone with lived experience or someone who has a family member, but you're also that person too. And you're the one kind of starting it off. Yeah. And I think that they can identify because of that. And though I know it's hard to get up there and continue to share your story and put yourself out there, I just, I want to say thank you because I think it does get the ball rolling in a lot of these conversations. Yeah. And it took me a long time to get to the point of being able to share my story. And, um, I, I wasn't, my mom did it all the time and I didn't get how she could do it because it's like, how do you just not cry? Mm -hmm. (laughs) How do you just not get so emotional when you share some of the things that a family going, because it's not the person isn't just going through active addiction, the whole family's going through it. And being able to get up there and tell that story, and then ours does end with loss. And that's, it's heart-wrenching, it's sad, and it didn't happen just once, but again, and then again. And it's, so like, it, it took me a long time, but I was also filling myself with sorrow and hate and anger, all the things that here I'm having a conversation with these kids about. And I think that's what makes a difference too. It, until I was ready to share my story, this program didn't blossom. So, and when I get up there, it's because now I'm ready to share. I know what it did for me because it, it made me not angry anymore. It, it, it made me not jealous. I was jealous of the dead because everybody talked about Ryan and Matt too. And I hate it saying that. I felt like a terrible sister. I miss my brothers. They're my best friends in the whole world. We did everything together. But yet I'm jealous because it's Ryan and Matt, Ryan and Matt. And it had been for so many years. It's that constant battle within yourself and that conflict. And, but then... I, I just got to stop you for a sec. <laughs> you know why? Because someone needed to hear that today. Someone needed to hear that. Because there are brothers and sisters and family members out there that that's how they feel and if nothing else what you just said is going to help somebody yeah and it it's true because you do feel all of that I was sad I was hurt I was angry I was mad I was jealous I was frustrated and I can even tell you that the day that they passed you know you have that almost instant relief like okay they're out of pain and we're out of this world but the reality is it is that you're not because it touched you in some way it affected you and until you work through those things and you you talk about them and you share them even the ugly parts like jealousy I hate I hate when I have to say that out loud because I hate it that I ever felt that way but it wasn't really jealousy that I felt but it was I was just again it was it was just Ryan and Matt all the time and it was like hey here I am look at me I'm over here too I'm doing okay why can't somebody recognize that or people would go up to my parent, my my parents, um, mainly my mom, and ask how she was, but they wouldn't really ask how I was. But then they would turn around and tell me, "You need to make sure that you take care of her, okay?" And it, so you feel all that extra pressure built up too. So as I started sharing my story, it started releasing some of that. And my mom kept telling me, "We need to grieve together. It can look differently, but we need to do this together. <laughs> yeah. Like we both have been through some pretty 
heavy stuff. And I didn't believe her, but she was right. She's always right. She's my mother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I said it, Ma. Um, (laughs) But so... But then as I started sharing that story and, and opening up about those pieces, because people do need to hear that because people are feeling those things, like you said. Um, it's, I wasn't wrong for how I felt. Um, but now it's like I can. I can share that story. I can share the good, the bad, the ugly, and, and help somebody else. And I mean, and then through my experiences, hopefully just continue to build and get these kids to share so I can then take their experiences and build from there and, and so forth. Because the only way you're going to get through any of this is, is by talking to somebody else. And what I hear you say is that as you're helping everyone else, you know you're helping yourself. 100%. And your family. And my family. Yeah. And I really, really hope that my brothers are proud if we're being honest. So last question. Mm-hmm. How can people help you? How can they get involved in your organization and things that we're doing? Because we know we need more people to kind of push the word out. Yeah, for sure. I know that we're we're really struggling with getting stakeholders, um, which a stakeholder is essentially somebody out in the community that wants to help support and help with any kind of prevention work. All the coalitions have a monthly meeting that you can come hear us out, hear what we're doing in our community. You can go to our prevention website at preventsubstancemisuse.org. There's literally a map on the front page. You type in your zip code. It's going to tell you which coalition. And at that point, it'll take you to that page, and it's going to tell you when they meet, how often they meet, all the good stuff. Um, And then for my program, I'm always looking for keynote speakers, panelists. If you're a clinician or a therapist, you work with AACPS, um, we're looking for sad to help people to help us get sad advisors for sad organizations and school kids need to know about, you know, kids against destructive decisions or students against destructive decisions. It's a great program for kids to get involved. So there's a lot of different pathways, but I would say go to the prevent substance misuse.org um, webpage because it's all there. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Katie. And that brings us to the end of this episode. A special thanks to Katie for joining us during that riveting discussion on Anne Arundel County's crisis response system and how we integrate with coalitions in the community. We hope today's episode provided some critical information that may help you or a loved one. We would like to take a moment to thank our listeners for joining us. If you or a loved one are experiencing a crisis, please contact the Anne Arundel County Crisis Response Warm Line at 410-768-5522. This number is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And remember, your actions may save a life. CIT Today was created by Steve Thomas and Jen Corbin. It was produced and recorded by Rich Harrard, researched, written, and edited by Justin Mulcahy and Steve Thomas. CIT Today is a product of the Anne Arundel County Police Department.